open. Okay. Love it. Keep us on our toes here. <laughs> the internet, I think, I think is what's happening here. Uh, the internet. It's, it's coming There's to get nothing Sandman. that feels worse than coming in with no music. Cold silence? I don't know. I could, I could, I'm sure I could gin up something that you would enjoy less than that. I'm see. certain. I am certain of it. I don't could, challenge me. I could think of... Uh, Many things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So don't take like my alarm clock at 430. Yeah. Like that. Okay. Well, That's sh- one thing. Shy's went off a little later than that. But Are you sure? A little earlier than I think he would have liked uh, getting up with us this morning. Always appreciate it. Shy Davidi, uh, this insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Shy, thanks so much for jumping on with us. How are you doing this morning? All right. What's going on, fellas? Well, we're two weeks away from the deadline, and uh, I think people are getting squirrely. I don't even know that people know what they want to add to this team. They've seen them win some games. They would like some ads to to happen. Uh, It's kind of funny, the conversations that's happened surrounding this team. I mean, we know the start they got off to. Then then everything that happened with Alec Manoa, I think kind of to a certain extent, reset people's expectations. But here they are at a spot that I think a lot of people would have maybe not ran to sign up for, but a spot that you could have easily seen this team team in at the start of the year uh where are we at with them a couple weeks out of uh, baseball's trade deadline here yeah you're right about the they're not being sort of one direct or obvious path to to augment the roster ahead of the deadline you know especially if, if alec manila picks up where he left off after that uh, last outing in detroit before the break uh, and with Jin ryu coming all of a sudden the rotation looks like that's going to be fine. And then you have to debate yourself, okay, so is it better to augment the bullpen and, and maybe try to get another leverage arm there to just bolster the group around Jordan Romano? Or do you try to maybe get a little creative and find a, a way to add a little bit more offense with another piece uh, that you know is either coming off the bench or is maybe doing something a little bit more impactful? I think that's sort of the debate that the Blue Jays are having right now. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, you've got Hyunjin Ryu coming and you know, potentially Chad Green, who could be a factor in the bullpen as well. So in some ways, the Blue Jays were uh, set up to have their two biggest trade deadline additions potentially be the return of Ryu and the, and the return of Chad Green. And, you know, I wrote that uh, before the season and, you know, here we are uh, in July uh, on the cusp of the deadline and it feels like that has the potential of still happening. So it's the trade deadline, Shy. We're getting close and we're reading into everything. And uh, we saw that Aurelis Martinez was uh, promoted to AAA. Uh, I'm going to read into that. Should I read into that? It seems like something that would be interesting around this time of year. No, I think that's just performance driven, ah. right? You know, he were, he started the year was repeating double A. There were certain thresholds that the Blue Jays wanted him to hit, and he's clearly met them. You know, they made a focal point for him, his swing decisions, and uh, really his focus on on hitting pitches in in certain parts of the zone. And he's done that. You know, he got off to a slow start, a worrisome start. Is uh, he was batting under 100 through his first 22 games, uh, and then he's been terrific ever since. And uh, walks uh, uh, more and more walks and strikeouts, and just uh, a ton of contact, not just power. And you really seeing a talented young hitter maybe starting to come into his own a little bit. So it was time for him to be challenged with uh, with another level going to face certainly uh, pitching uh, more veteran pitching at triple a buffalo 
uh, guys who have been in the major leagues who can who know how to maybe exploit a hitter's weaknesses a little bit more effective than they can in double A. And the Blue Jays' hope will be that he's able to continue that approach there. So then, Shy, is he someone that would be on the major league radar if he succeeds at that level for down the stretch here? Or like, How much higher can he come up? Well, I think a few things would have to happen for him to get on the roster, right? Because mm-hmm. if, if he's going to come up, he's an infielder, he's played only shortstop and third base this season. So if he comes up, where are you fitting him in? You're not going to have him just come up and, and sit on the bench. So it, it, there would have to be some sort of need, either at third base or a shortstop, or I guess potentially second base if – you know, he was, you'd slide him over there and felt that he could be comfortable on the other side of the diamond. But he's someone who, who's going to have to be on the radar for next year, right? And if you think about where the Blue Jays are at, you know, they, a third of their, of their batting order is potentially headed to free agency in Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield, and Kevin Kiermaier. So him, Addison Barger, you know, those are two guys who, at least as things stand now, and obviously there's a full off season of stuff that can happen to change things, but we'll at least have a potential pathway to the roster next year. Uh, you know, as as of right now, I think the Blue Jays very much have a veteran, uh, a, a lot of veterans in and around that lineup. And I think that's what they're going to want to continue to do as they try to get over the hump this year. Fan Morning Show here, Brent Cunning, Sam McKee. You talk to Shai Davidi of, of Sportsnet. Blue Jays just a couple of weeks out of baseball's trade trade deadline there. And, you know, like we said at the beginning, there are a few different routes this team can go if they want to improve. I'm with you. We talked about this at length. Me and McKee did uh, the idea of starting pitching. Sure, in a perfect world, if you're just grabbing guys for free, then yeah, why not take an extra one? But when you're looking at the things that need to be improved on this team, it's pretty clearly at the bottom of the pecking order. How do you kind of rate the other needs? for this team, be it some help for Romano at the back end of the pen or, you know, I, I stop me if you've heard this before, a lefty bat that you could insert into the lineup that, that you might like. How, how would you kind of power rank the things the Jays need most uh, a couple weeks out? Yeah, it's really interesting because I kind of go back and forth on that. And the injury or the, the absence of, of Jordan Romano over the weekend due to the back issue that he suffered in the All-Star game, you know, it was a bit of a reminder of how you can just never have enough pitching, right? And how nice would it have been for the Blue Jays to have another leverage arm they could just call on in that situation. But I think the weekend also showed that they have some depth of where they can survive that, right? You saw, you know, Jimmy Garcia's return to form as uh, a very significant occurrence for this team because he was such a an important piece for them last year and he was so erratic at the beginning of the season but now it's 11 consecutive outings without allowing a run he, he's really locked in become uh, and become the piece the reliable piece that he was last year and so you have him you, you're trusting in eric swanson although you know with eric swanson you have to be aware that he's about to pass his career high in innings out of the bullpen uh, and don't love that. <laughs> he, yeah. He, I mean, well, I mean, the thing is he's bouncing back, he's recovering, he's learning how to do it. Full credit to him for that. But you also don't want to wear him out. You want to give him a chance to be at his best as often as possible. So, you know, 
can you deepen that a little bit? You've got Nate Pearson's uh, emergence, but again, this is also uncharted territory for him as a reliever in, in this kind of usage. Yeah, see, so you could certainly make the case there, but there all have also been times where you look at the lineup, you're like, this feels like it's maybe one bat light, you know, where you think, okay, this is where someone like a Teoscar Hernandez or a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. would be really being great in the lineup. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you're going to be able to get a talent quite like that uh, at the deadline, but a little bit, you know, a a bit more impact on the bench or uh, perhaps someone in in a more substantial role than that, that would be pretty intriguing. So I really go back and forth between those two, those two kind of elements because it really comes down to, you know, do you feel that pitching depth, it, there's enough there? And do you trust that Chad Green can come up and, and factor into that? Or do you feel like, you know, ultimately you can get by with what you've got and you're better to, to bolster the, the bench? So going into a rather big start tonight for Alec Manoa Shai, uh, I'm just interested in the game plan with him. Like, you know, there's a world where he goes out there and he's just Alec Manoa again, but there was a large sample size to start the season where it wasn't a lot of positive results. I don't need to tell you about that. But like, what do you think the game plan is with the Jays if tonight doesn't go well at all? Like, I, I just, I don't know where they're at with him. Like, how long is the leash here, Shy? I mean, it has to be longer than two starts. You know, yeah. that's not that's not being fair to the guy. And 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 really, he had a really nice start uh, in Detroit against the Tigers. Mm-hmm. And you have to give him. I think you have to trust him. Okay. Right? You've got to go with the guys who are going to get you there. And there's certainly a scenario where you know if things go horribly awry, then you have to make a readjustment. And, and look, I think, as you mentioned, the spectrum of possibility is pretty wide open for, yeah, for where I have no here, idea. Right. And, and I think that's, that's part of what, if you're the Blue Jays, you have to kind of take into account over the next couple of weeks before the deadline. And you have to, you have to be honest with yourself and say, what do we really have in Alec Manoa here? And what do we really have in Kenjin Ryu here? And if, you can't have full faith in either one of those guys, then then you have to look at maybe augmenting your rotation in some way, shape, or form, or trying to get a swing arm, or trying to at least get some AAA depth, uh, something along those lines. Uh, at the same time, Alec Manoa can, is, is absolutely talented enough, is determined enough, is, uh, is proven enough that if he took off and was once again the ace of the staff, no one would be surprised. So that's it's it's a very compelling storyline for the Blue Jays in the weeks ahead. Mm-hmm. But you have to let it play out. You can't just abandon it after one or two starts. It's one that's not fair to him, but it's also not fair to your club. Fair enough. No, definitely, definitely not. You and I and I think the other thing that we also have to look at is that 
the most likely road to getting a picture, a pitcher as good as Alec Manoa in this team's rotation is just Alec Manoa being that guy, as opposed to if they have to augment it, it's just impossible to kind of play catch up in, in that regard. Uh, obviously another thing that will factor into this, not in terms of how much rope they give Manoa, but just in terms of how much they need out of him is Kevin Gosman. Uh, it wasn't just pushback. It was the skipping of a start. Uh, my understanding was he maybe had a side session that he also missed this, this weekend. Uh, what's the update on, on Gosman and where's the concern level there? And if the concern level stays there or continues to rise, does that change things for, for the Jays at all? Well, the way that I would describe it, so if he was going to make his start, if he was going to start today, then he would have thrown a bullpen uh, or, or his side day would have been Sunday. So he didn't throw a side, but he played catch. And so there was obviously some progress there if he's playing catch. The thing with, with Kevin Gosman is if there was serious concern about where he was at, the Blue Jays would there, – there's incentive to put him on the injured list as quickly as possible because this year – uh, you can only backdate an IL stint three days, a maximum of three days, whereas before you could backdate it all the way to the last time somebody played or pitched. So dragging it out with, uh, with Kevin Gosman, the, the longer you play it out, the, the more time he's only ultimately going to end up missing. So if they thought that this was potentially trending towards an injured list stint, that there'd be an incentive to, to do it as quickly as possible. And they haven't done that. So the off day gave them a little bit of runway to push them all the way to next weekend in Seattle. And the Blue Jays decided to use that and, and probably wisely so. And, uh, you know, again, and if, this is just a reading of the tea leaves, but it, if it was serious enough that it looked like the injured list might be a realistic possibility, then you know, it'll be almost, uh, you, you, you can't wait on that because you end up costing yourself on the, on the return end. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good thing to point out. I don't think a lot of people uh, realize that about backdating the the IL stints there. And look, uh, Kevin Gosman's been the uh, one of the biggest factors for this team's success one way or another, and that's not going to change uh, as the season goes on. So uh, they need him back as soon as possible. Uh, Shy, really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time with us this morning. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks, Shy. Yeah, you got it, guys. Be well. Uh, there he goes. A shy Davidi with Sportsnet. Always love getting him on. This insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. So I loved Shy's answer about Manoa. Mm-hmm. And I knew I just, you know, he's a level, level-headed guy, knows a ton about the team, knows yep. really well connected. And I, it's a perspective that I think if you're willing to call him back up mm-hmm. and pitch him, Yep. against the Tigers or whatever, and he had a good start. I think you're sort of operating under the understanding that he is Alec Manoa. Mm-hmm. And he has a little bit of runway here. Totally. And he says, you know, he's like, you're not going to do this after two starts. And it's like, yeah, you think, no, you're right. But I, I, I guess I don't know what the number of starts is for him. But I just, after having that conversa- conversation with Shy, I'm more sure of him just being here for the rest of the year and just being kind of the fifth starter and hoping for some good results. Like, I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was before he no. got sent down again. Like, I think he's going to kind of turn a corner here and he's going to be better. It's obviously not going to get to the level that was last mm-hmm. year where he was one of the best pitchers in the league. But I do think after talking to Shy there and kind of having it out that he will be here for most of the rest of the year. Just expectation-wise, mm-hmm. do you expect him to give you roughly – 
and if it's more, great. But at the very least, roughly what you say Kikuchi has given them this year. Is that is that fair to expect of Alec Manoa now that he is back in the big leagues? Yep. Then that's what that's exactly what the game plan should be. I think that Kevin Gosman, and I won't say his emergence because they signed him because he was this guy, but the stamping home of what he's been since he's been a J. Barrios being everything he's been this year. Hound dog, Bassett, him being a very capable third starter has just taken the pressure off. And I think that Alec Manoa, you're going to have to just live with the world. Now, very possible he does refine form and is closer to last year's Manoa than what we've seen. But I think you have, you have to just expect he is more of your four or five this year. Mm-hmm. And anything you get beyond that is is gravy. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the concern level for Kevin Gosman, did you feel any better when you heard that answer? I, I love the semantics of, and I realize they're very different things. But it's, he didn't have a side set. He just played some catch. Well, I mean, Makes it sound like he's, he's chucking had, a disc out there. He just had a catch. Oh, he had a catch. <laughs> he just had a catch. Him and I don't know who he threw to. Him and his son had a catch. I don't know. I just Probably Kirk. Got to find something for him to do. <laughs> it, like, what is it? His side? His back? Like, what it's is it? Oblique. Ugh. I actually don't know that they use that word, but God, side. The, the O word in baseball Terrible. is a horrible word. Like Terrible. I remember Brett Laurie getting those obliques in spring training. You <laughs> did he get them? Did he get them from slamming his helmet at an umpire? You, you wouldn't see him until forever, legitimately, like June. So I don't like the O word when it comes to baseball, and I feel like you use your side a lot as a pitcher. I think so. This seems like something that could flare up mm-hmm. at any moment. So to me, if Manoa's back, yep, and Ryu's back. I would probably put him on the IL. Yes. I would I would probably put him down and make sure that he's <laughs> on the IL. Yes. You're not sending him to the glue factory. No, you just no. said put him down. And then like you looked very <laughs> very sad in my eyes when no, you said that. I, I, I would want to make would, sure. I would set him down on the set him down, put him on the IL, and it sounds like it's fine. <laughs> I would I really would be careful with him because he has to be. And you've I'm not saying that like you're solid in a playoff spot. What are they, two games up yes. on a playoff spot? I'm not saying that. I just think you have enough capable arms where if you need to do a bullpen day for two times through the rotation here, you can do it. I just, I think you have to be extremely careful with Kevin Gosman because you need him capital N down the stretch here. I, I don't disagree with anything. I look at it a slightly different way in that it does make me wonder and I think it doesn't change anything because it's not like this team is pushing in for Shohei. They're not blowing out the farm system for a guy like that. It's going to be little ads. And if it's little ads, then I think you do still continue to make them. But it does make me question, not not have for sure doubts, but just a question lingering in the air of how good are this team's chances if Kevin Gosman is not Kevin Gosman? Or if you're going to have to worry about how many innings you're going to be able to get well, out I mean, of him. he's your ace. Right. He's your best pitcher. So right? if you don't have him, and that's why that's why two weeks is a long time. For, for an injury like this, where there's uncertainty around it, there are not alarm bells being rung. You know, we've got pretty good through the years at reading tea leaves of, uh, of the concern level we hear mm-hmm. about these guys. It does not sound like this is a 10-alarm fire. As long as you get this straightened out between now and the deadline, then I think you continue to operate exactly as you have been. But much like we talk about all the time in hockey, if you lose your starting goalie, and I understand there's five of them in baseball in terms of starting pitchers, but if you lose your ace and you don't know what Manoa is, and all of a sudden your for sure lock playoff rotation consists of maybe Kevin Gosman, for sure Jose Barrios and Chris Bassett, and you say Kikuchi, you feel much less strongly about that than if Gosman's at the top of it. And sure. It just, just makes you kind of alter your thinking. And that's only if 
you're looking at something big, something yeah, sexy, yeah. and they're not doing that. Yeah. So I don't know how much it'll actually uh, alter things there. Um, we promised no more golf, but but you got some. I saw this um, trickle across my Twitter from Joel Beal. Yep, great golf follow. Um, Nine thirty-six a.m. tea time on Thursday. Brooks Kepka <laughs> with Patrick Cantlay and Hideki Matsuyama. He's gonna kill him. There may be a murder on the course. There may be, you know that serial killer yeah. that called into whatever show that was? Michael K. That's going to be Kepka after he has to watch Patrick Cantlay. And, like, I'm sure Patrick Cantlay in playing Lynx Lynx goal, goal, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he won't blind take any time. He just won't take blind any shots, time. gusts of wind. And here's what I'll say. I mean, everyone likes Hideki, Hideki Matsuyama. Slow as he dirt. Ain't, he ain't setting any land no. speed records either. Like, no. th- those guys, I, I think Cantlay, here's what I'll say about him is that he takes a lot of the bullets yes, for a lot, a lot of, guys of guys on tour who are incredibly slow, including our beloved Tiger, yes. who is very, very slow yeah, at, the peak of his power. Well, no, at the peak of his yes. powers. Like those, those masters, yeah. when he won the 2019 masters, he wasn't speeding around there. No, no, no. no. slow. All right, take all the time you need. Love so, you, yeah, Tiger. Of course, of course. <laughs> but Cantlay takes the bullets. But my, my take that I've had a million times on the golf show, I've had it in other places, is like, if you don't want him to play so slow, Maybe do something about it. If you think it's such a bad thing you for the game. To fight. Oh, no, you want the PGA Tour to penalize him. Oh, my okay. God. Yeah. I, I, honestly, that'd be a great rule. If like, your playing partner gets so mad, he can fight you. Yeah, just, just, square no, up. just one punch. Like, <laughs> and, yeah. Not even a punch. A open-handed, not, like, shadow not, box. Cop uh, him upside cl- the head. Classic, um, classic uh, you know, Anchorman. Yes. Not the face. No. Of no, course. No, of course. No touching of the face. But, like, Kepka gets to give him, like, one big gut uppercut. Oh. For every, like, if he's, like, no, not just once around. Just once around. Yeah, like, for slow play. I like it. Thank you. Uh, the other, my, You get to call the clock, and if he goes over the clock, it's time for a gut punch. My forever favorite with this will be right as Patrick Reed was in the throes of his cheating. Mm-hmm. He blasted his ball into the woods on the right side of the hole. And Daniel Berger, who is playing all the way on the left side of the hole, his playing partner, yeah. he like scurried over, hit his shot, and then came back to where Patrick Reed was to just follow him into the trees <laughs> to make sure there was no chicanery happening. Uh, uh, there probably was. There definitely was. Of course. So, of course. Uh, other notable there, times actually have Eastern in front of me. Oh, yeah. How, how excited are you for this? Mm. At 9.59 a.m. Eastern oh, time. I'll be snoring already. You will be? Probably. Justin Rose, mm-hmm. John Rahm, Roy McIlroy. Hot, hot featured group. That is right in my prime golf window. I get home at like 10.01 on the nose every day, well, that, which means I won't get to see his first tee shot. They're pushing they're pushing Rose in there, right? Yeah. I guess it's because it's, it's, in, it's in England, right? It's in England. He's, he's a guy. He's I back. Know, I know. He's back. Now, I did say that heading into the... PGA? That was the last major we had? Yeah, PGA? Yeah. No, the last major we had was the U.S. US Open. Open. I yeah. was all over him, and he yeah. was terrible. Yeah. So I'm not going to be doing that. Uh, stay tuned for golf prognostication coming up with Bunk. Uh, do not stay tuned for me saying good words about but Justin Rose. He, uh, It's just going to be really fun to see the hands on the hips from Brooks. Oh, yeah. And the just, folding arms. The folding arms and the, the hand on the hip, and I'm looking forward Probably to that. Probably popping in the chew because oh, yeah. he's angry. Yeah. And they probably got the good the good chew over there. Oh, so. you know he's you know he's getting some of that thick cut over over there. Uh, we will have plenty more on the open as the week goes on, including a Friday golf show you golf show for you this week on Sportsnet Five Ninety The Fan. But back to the NBA. Nate Bjorken going to join us, former Raps assistant, current associate 
head coach with the Canadian men's national team. Big, big week for them. We talked to Rome Barrett about it earlier on in the week. We'll talk to Nate when we continue next here. One segment left. Fan Morning Show with Cunningham McKee on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan morning show here. Brent Gunning, Sam McKee. Final segment rolling along. Very, very happy to welcome in our final guest of the day, Nate Bjorkman, former Raptors assistant coach and current associate head coach with the Canadian Senior Men's National Team. Nate, thank you so much for jumping on with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Another uh, another great morning here in Mississauga. Thanks for having me. That's what we like to hear. I'm a West End guy myself, so I love that. Love to hear you're uh, you're getting to work early in the city. Uh, in terms of uh, you know, I do want to talk to you about the national team and everything going on there. Really exciting week, but uh, I got to talk to you. Look back five years ago today was the anniversary of the Kawhi Leonard trade. You'd worked in the Raptors organization for for quite a while leading up to that, or were part of it leading up to that. I should say what. What's it like working in an organization when they have a kind of sea change moment like that Kawhi trade? Uh, what was your reaction when you first, I mean, I imagine you might've had just a little bit of an inside scoop as opposed to somebody like me, but what was it like when you first heard about it? Well, that was uh, obviously that was a huge, you know, huge move, you know, a couple of great players involved in that, but yeah, I was, uh, I was an advanced scout the season before, and then that, that year, you know, 2018, 2019, obviously the, the year you're talking about, the year that we won it, um, that was right when we got hired as coaches, you know, the, right when we came in. So, you know, at that time, right before the season started, that, uh, that big trade was, was announced and, and it turned out to be a, one heck of a move. And, and, you know, I know you're going to ask more questions about that team and that run, but, but what a great season and, and what a great group of guys and a, and a great place that we all were in. So, Nate, the thing for fans that was – it was so exciting to see that Adrian Wojnarowski tweet and have that all come out. But the big thing for most fans was, is he going to actually report? I remember there being um, – I think it was Chris Haynes had put out a report that he wasn't going to come to Toronto and there was all this, like, indecision. And then there was that famous picture of him in the gym. And I, don't, I can't even remember. I think it was Masai with him. And I can't remember who else. Like, was that a, a talking point within the organization if he was actually going to get here? Or was that just a fan thing that they were worried about? No, I never, I never heard that or really felt that way. Like when, when I knew that we were, you know, when we made the move to get him, you know, we were, we were all expecting him to be there and excited, uh, excited to have him obviously. So there was never any indecision in, in my mind or in our, in our organization's mind, if, if he was going to report or not, it was the thoughts in our mind was, okay, we got Kawhi Leonard. We got a great group of players, a great team and, and let's get to work on, on winning this title. You know, that's the only thing in, in the mind of a coach, you, you coach the players that you have and you get ready for the things that, uh, uh, that are on the backs of the Jersey. And, and boy, did we have a, did we have one heck of a group? Oh, 
Yeah, you had you had a lot of good players on that team. I don't want to make it just about one guy. I mean, when people talk about that title run, Marc Gasol comes up so quickly. Obviously, Kyle Lowry, Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka. There, there are so many names from that. But it all did kind of stem from from Kawhi there. And, you know, I think another interesting part of it was just uh, or somebody something you would have an insight to that so many of us still have no idea of. Just was it like working with Kawhi? I mean, obviously, we hear all the stuff about he's a quiet guy. But, you know, he had the famous clip as well of I'm a fun guy. You know, he's not just some robot, at least. You want to do, do the laugh? Gunner, uh, or no? Uh, <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't. That's mean. But what was your experience like working with the guy again? Like we get this we get this perception from the outside that he's a robot or he can be hard to deal with. But what about you? What was the experience like getting to to know him and kind of building a relationship over the course of that year? Yeah, you hit it early on your question. Like the biggest thing that I take away from that year is I'll never forget like how prepared you had to be as a coach. Meaning this, I had a room, we had a room full of players like Danny and Kawhi had just come from Popovich, the legendary coach Popovich. You know, we had guys like Mark Gasol who had, who's been in Memphis and around the block and international and, and, and obviously, you know, our, you know, Kyle Lowry, who is so, so, so elite smart and, 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 and Freddie and I mean, Freddie was young. Pascal was young. So it was like, we had this group of guys that when you got ready to talk to them and show them film to them, or you got ready to present a drill to the team, you better know why you were doing it. Because if there was something that looked funny, if they, if they saw something they didn't like, they were going to say it. So you had to be so prepared with your film and your words and your drills and your and your pace and, and I will never forget that and it and it, and it made a, it it just it made you a better coach and it made us a better team and then to get to your Kawhi part of the question like he just he wore he just worked and when and when he spoke people did listen he was a quiet guy but funny and a guy I still stay in touch with and. Just the just their level of preparation of that team, I'm telling you guys, it was it was unmatched. And and from Kawhi to all those guys that you and I just named, uh, boy, were they in tuned and in tuned and, and the, the the intellect and the intelligence level of that group was just off the charts. Yeah, and again, like Kawhi is going to be forever the guy that gets talked about. I mean, he hit the shot. Kyle Lowry always takes a ton of credit, uh, rightfully so. He certainly deserves it. But yeah, just so many guys you could you could rip through that that meant so much to that team and just savvy vets. And I, I love what you said there about it made you a, a better coach. In terms of what you take now to the men's national team, is there any one thing you you took out of that? Is it just the how much you have to prepare to work with athletes like that? What did you kind of take out of your Raptors experience? and and the the one in Indiana as well and transport it to to what you're doing now with the men's national team. Yeah, you talk about this too. You talk about like our our playoff run that we had, you know, on winning that title. I mean, our backs were really against the wall in in some tough moments. I think we were down 2-1 to Philly, you know, on the road in a must win. We were down 0-2 against Milwaukee and had to come home and, 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 and a must win and we won in overtime. But as those as those playoffs moved on and, and as we continued to advance, you could just see it in the players' eyes. You could feel it in the huddles, in the in the in the locker rooms, in the meetings. Like you could give the, that team a game plan, they would take it 
and then they would take it to another level. I mean, it was, it was something that I had never seen. I mean, it was, it was amazing the things that these guys could think of and that they could do on a basketball floor. And, and I say this a lot about the Canadian national team we have, even though the, the, the winter's windows teams to this group of guys that you're going to see this summer at the World Cup, their level of intelligence is so high that you can prepare as high as you want to as a coach. Like the ceiling is the limit, and they will absorb it and, and take that preparation and then take it to another level. They, they, I'm telling you, there are not only do we have a talented Canadian roster here, but the, the, they're so smart, they're so tough, and, and boy, do they learn things quickly, and, and, and they want to win. That, that hunger to win and to, to do everything it takes to win, um, it's very present here with this Canadian team as well. Yeah, so I mean, this may be a bit of a layup question for you, Nate, but I mean, just as a Canadian, I'm seeing that roster, and the only word I have is excited, honored. You know, I have many words for it, but excited is the first one that comes to mind. I mean, getting to be a part of the coaching staff with that roster and such a huge event for Canadian basketball, it's got to be incredibly exciting, man. You nailed it. The, the word is honored. I'm very honored. I love living here. I've, I've, this is this is our home. My kids get to be a part of it. You know, I'm, I'm uh, my, my daughter's 13, my son is 10, and, and that's all they talk about. And, and we're playing baseball and softball in the summertime here, and and everybody's getting excited for your other word that you use for this team. But but it is, it's an honor. And every time I get with this team, whether it's the winter windows or these summer windows, it's it's the first thing that I tell them how honored I am to be here and to be a part of it. Because the way that these guys play for their country, it is unbelievable how hard they play, how hard they work, and how they want each other to do so well and to do great things. And, and there is, there's a lot of excitement around. And, and I'm telling you, the basketball in this country is really coming for boys and girls. You can see it. You can see the talent coming and the excitement. It's uh, really fun to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, we can we can hear the passion kind of coming through in your voice, and you're you're a great guy to ask about this because you know, like we're we're, we're you're part of the team now, so you're a homer too. But you've also <laughs> looked at this with an outside lens. Like, how is Canada viewed as a basketball nation? Because again, I I run through the other nations that we think of as these guys can push the U.S. or they can give them a tough game, and the one thing that they tend to have that Canada maybe doesn't is a Jokic, an MVP level guy. But when I look Look at depth of talent. I I don't know how many nations outside of America can sit there and say they have as good or, or better depth in Canada. That's the thing that jumps out is, you know, for so long growing up in this country, it was like, all right, Steve Nash and his pals, and they're going to go do it, but it's not Steve Nash and his pals. It's Shy. Right? It's SGA. It is Jamal Murray. It is all the other guys that show up all the time, and it's just the depth of talent is what stands out, not just the high-end ability. Absolutely. It's it's the the way that that people view this the the, the country of Canada is, is is they're coming, and like the talent is here. You look at you look at Shea and Jamal, the starting our our our, our starting backcourt. You cannot find a better one-two punch anywhere in the world. I mean, Jamal's just coming off an NBA title, and Shea is a first-team All-NBA. I mean, these guys are big-time studs, and that's who you want leading your team. And you talk. You mentioned some other guy. You know, we got R.J. Barrett, and Kelly, who's been with us a bunch, and Dwight Powell, and and Lou, and, and Dylan. I mean, the, the names keep going and going. And and when you have your two leaders being your two guards like that, who have proven that they can win at any level in this world, in Shea and Jamal, uh, you're off to a good start. 
obviously, uh, you know, a guy you've worked with a ton in your in your NBA and your basketball coaching career, even internationally, uh, was was Nick Nurse. Uh, obviously, a new guy at the helm now in in Jordy Fernandez. Uh, what's it been like uh, working with somebody different? I mean, obviously, this is nothing new to you. You went and you were there at the helm in Indiana there, uh, but when you work with somebody for so long, I imagine things uh, just jump out as being a little different, or, or you pick up on new things. Uh, what's been different from for you in the program uh, with with? And I realize it's just happened here. Uh, but with Jordy Fernandez at, at the helm as opposed to Nick Nurse. Yeah, I've known I've known Coach Fernandez for a while. You know, coached against him. We go way back to, to coaching against each other in the in the G League, um, and then obviously coaching against him in the NBA um, over the last over the years. So he's a he's a, I got to spend some time with him this last week here. He was in town for the Global Jam, so we uh, um, actually picked him up from the airport. And we look at you, team player. For, for an, you are a local for, for guy. About an hour. We, we sat in traffic for about an hour and 10 minutes getting, <laughs> getting to downtown. So right. I welcomed him. I, I, I gave him a great welcome to Toronto, but uh, uh, we spent a lot of time together. He's got obviously great NBA experience. He's got great international experience, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is the key as well. Very smart. Um, he's going to be a head coach in the NBA very, very soon. Uh, but again, you know, Canada has been very fortunate to have guys like, Nick Nurse and Jordy Fernandez, you know, lead their teams. And, and now with, with Coach Fernandez, you know, here we go. You know, we, uh, uh, World Cup is, is here. Training camp starts in about two weeks and time to go. So just got to ask before I let you go here. Now, what do you make of uh, Nick going to Philadelphia? It's obviously going to a, a, a rival. It's a big change. I just would be interested to get your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I mean they, obviously they came after him. He's got a, he's got a good team there. I know that he really, really, just like I did, really enjoyed his time here in Toronto. I think, you know, he was here for 10 years and, and I was here for, for four or five years. And and I tell you, it's it's no hard feelings and, and, and we love it. And we were very, very fortunate to to be in a great organization like the Toronto Raptors and, and to win that title. It was it meant a lot and 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 now he you know he gets a chance to to go over there to to Philadelphia and they're as you know automatically another contender you know getting to coach uh, some great players and and they'll be right in the mix there's no doubt about it yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how it all uh, all plays out. Uh, NBA seasons are rarely boring, and I, I doubt his will be, but you've got a, a pretty exciting summer coming up yeah. ahead of you. <laughs> Training camp getting going August 1st and the tournament itself uh, later that month. Uh, Nate, thanks so much for jumping Appreciate on it, with man. us. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Yep. Yeah, you guys, anytime. I enjoy talking with you. Thanks for having me. There he goes. Sounds like he just booked himself uh, for during training camp, uh, if we're doing it. If not, Danielle, I can book yeah. him for whoever we like. But if, if it's us, you got to give it back to us. Uh, there he is, Nate Bjorker really enjoyed in there. That. Local man. Yeah. Toronto, the man from Toronto. He just did. Well, he picked up a bud from the airport. Picked That's... up a bud from the airport. He rotted in traffic. Oh. He shouted out, not quite the city of Toronto, but a city just outside of it that feels as though it's part of it. Yeah. Toronto man. He's in. Uh, the home of Braben. The home of Braben and and Lakeview, technically. What do you mean technically? Technically, what do I, I don't think of it as I don't think of it as Mississauga. Oh, like, okay. I think of it more of like Etobicoke. Okay, like yeah, I, I, it is it is Mississauga. Okay. Technically, I just got it's, really confused. It's under the umbrella okay. of the city of Mississauga. Okay. But I don't think of it as like you think of it as Toronto proper. You think of it as Toronto. Yes. Ah, you do. Yeah, I do. Okay, but it's not right. I, I'm wrong. I, okay. I'm saying to all the people listening, I am wrong. I don't know actually because I'm thinking about. Because I drive not quite past it every morning, but I drive 
I drive past the the Burger King I can see mm. before I go to Lakeview. You mean the and Burger I, King I stop on at, yeah, every stop time? league yeah. night every, every single, single time? time? Yeah. 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 Uh, that I, and I, that feels like Toronto to me too, though. So I think you're right. I like, we're both wrong, but I do Dixie, think we're right. Dixie Road is where it's on. Yeah. And I think that's pretty Mississauga. It pretty yeah. yeah. Like, but it feels it. it yes. I don't know. All right. Um, uh, that conversation was for six people only uh, and not for the 27 people who are texting in that they hate golf. Uh, so I like that conversation a lot. I did. But there was something that I wanted to get to quickly before we have to go here. Got 10 and, minutes still. No, yeah, no. And this is, uh, this is not necessarily a quick conversation. Okay. So that's why I brought it Ooh. up. Now and I'm it was intrigued. On, it, I'm just going through our wonderful, wonderful lineup. lineup again. Just can't give Danielle enough credit for this. You were a little. Bo- oh no, was it him or was it Mackie who put Global Jam as the tie? No, was it, it was Danielle. Yeah, you were mad at him for that. That no, was a little sour. This is good. Um, that the Blackhawks signed Connor Bedard to an mm. entry level contract. Yes. And I don't necessarily think that's the overpay. News. Is that no? Oh wait, my oh, god! Oh, oh okay. Oh, let me guess. Let me guess. He got all his Schedule A bonuses, and there well, was not a Lou Lamorello thing say, happening. That there. was so bad. The, the worst one is that. When Mitch Marner is up for his deal next year, it's not going to be the overall talking point, but you will hear he didn't get his bonuses on his ESC. Wow, it's going to happen. One, from one man. Yeah. And one man. I just, it's going to happen. And a guy I work with every day. I know. It's going to happen. Of course. He signs <laughs> his, his three-year contract. It's a 950000 AAV. Good value. So... I love the Bill Simmons trade value trade value list, and I, he'd probably get sour if somebody wrote it about the NHL. But he would complain about it. But in his heart of hearts, he would love that he created this media gimmick. Maybe it's too close to the end of the show to do this. Maybe we could do this again a little bit tomorrow. But sure. where do you think that ranks amongst the most valuable? Him as an asset with that contract attached ranks in the most valuable assets across the NHL. Top ten. So, number one is clearly Connor McDavid. Still. Yeah. I mean, how many years left does he have on that contract? Three. Yeah, it's three because Tavares has one less than him because I always so do the math of the at, placeholder for at, future whatever, leaf third, Connor McDavid. Whatever it is. What, how much does he make? Nothing. 12.5. God. Because he took a haircut. Yeah. What a guy. <laughs> um, so, that is number imagine, one. Just imagine a superstar center saying, give me eight years and I'll take even the slightest of haircuts. Could you... Could you imagine living I in that really, world? I really am really excited for the conversation in three years when everyone's like, oh, you know, you, you just got to take less. You got to get to the big money. And he's like, eight years full thing yeah. gone. <laughs> Wait, oh, they can do it. With uh, the yeah, maybe with the lease. But I think Connor's won. Yeah. I think. Kale? No. Leon? Leon. Well, I'm thinking about guys who make the yeah, least that's and are Leon. the most valuable. That's Leon. But you don't have them for that much longer. Right? I think Leon's has only got this year and next. I thought he was on the same track as McDavid, but I could be no, wrong about that. I think he signed that. a okay. year before that. Okay. So I think he would be in the conversation as well. Two years at, what is it, eight, eight, five, something like that? I'm looking at it right now. It has a eight. What a contract yeah. that was. That is a masterclass by Pete Shirelli, who didn't have a ton of them. <laughs> Uh, Literally the only thing he's been given credit for in the last decade. Good yeah, on you. This year at eight five, and next year at eight five. Okay, that does change. I thought he had one more. That changes things a, a little. I don't know how much, honestly. No, but a little. Yeah. No question. I think you have Nate McKinnon yep. locked in at okay. cost certainty long term. We, we say that, but if uh, Kyle Davidson, I forgot the other Kyle's name for a second mm-hmm. there, calls up Ken Holland. Mm-hmm. And says, would you, I, I want to kickstart this. I want a guy who's done it. 
give me Leon for Bedard. They do it, right? Like the Oilers would a thousand percent take that trade. <laughs> they would. They're like we can sit here and I am I am probably the wrong guy to po- to broach this because I'm always killing dry side. Not in their window right now. You don't I, think so? I don't think so because I think they're so close. The Connors. They're so close. They're so close. Okay. And I how think- how much did, how much was McDavid ready to help a winner his first year? I'm, this is all part of the exercise. I don't even know definitively where I fall on this. I eight fifty on our show. We're asking what I know. Connor or Connor Bedard for Leon Draisaitl. I don't think Oilers would do it. You don't think so? No, because they're trying to win the Stanley Cup, and he's their was their best player for I, a lot of I, the playoffs. I don't disagree with everything you're saying about him and how good he is, and he's wired that way, and the contract's awesome. But what if you could go out and get not another Draisaitl, but you could go out and get. Two Tyler Bertuzzi's or a Domi and a Bertuzzi Leon for Dreisel that money. 13 goals in 12 playoff games this year. A manimal. He is, there is, I shouldn't say there's no way because it depends on what you're trying to do. But Ken Holland as the general manager in his last year as general manager gets caught by Kyle and be like, hey, you guys can have Bedard for three years at whatever. 950. And 950. And you pair him with Connor. It's like, there's just no way that Connor Bedard is having a better year next year than Leon Dreisaitl. This is why the trade value is the best column in debate. It truly is. This is why it's the best because they're both, they're both the right answer. You are, you are correct yeah. to say because they are in their window. They're in their, their sure. extremely competitive window. The next, are they, how long do they have these two years of yes. Leon Dreisaitl? Yeah. Unless they re up them whenever yeah. they can, whenever yeah. he's eligible. Which Guess what? He's a, he's, he's now firmly a hockey man having spent the first eight years of yeah, his life I in did, Alberta. I would imagine he'd leave too. I think I think they have two years left here. You do, eh? Yeah, I do. Okay. I, 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 I think I Connor's, don't, I Connor's way more likely to re-sign than Leon is. For me. sure. I just, I don't, I don't see a guy like Dreisaitl who, and again, I want to be clear. I've been too critical of him for being a uh, creation of McDavid. That is not mm-hmm. the case. He is great in and of himself. But you know what is a great way to give me a retroactive victory lap is for him to go be the guy on a team and not have McDavid around him. And it just opens up questions about what he is. And the other part of it is that, is he going to have a chance to win better than if he just re-ups with Edmonton and stays attached no, to, to McDavid? Probably not. So I that's mean, why I think he'll stay. having an amazing career. He's awesome. He's yeah. an incredible player. Yeah. I, 744 I, points in 638 games to start his playoff career. Playoff warrior. You yeah. uh, love the way he's wired. Seven points Sick in passer. 49 playoff games. So, give that to me again. 77 <laughs> points in 49 playoff games. That's good. That's very good. Yeah, like he is a stud. There's zero chance. Well, not zero chance. I'm saying 0.5% chance that they do that. I think it is way, I don't think it's a slam dunk that they would do it. I just think it's way closer to a 50-50 proposition than you're making it seem. Would, that's Col- why this would is Colorado best. do Bedard for McKinnon? No, but I think it's different because they don't have another McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Would they do Rantanen? And I know obviously there's yes, a huge schasm between yes, those players, but that's the thing. If it's like you're going to pair him with superstar who has done it, totally. You're going to give up your superstar who mm-hmm. is the leader, leader yeah. of your pack to do it? I don't think so. The Oilers are a very particular one of one. The perfect. They really are. The perfect one. All so right. where does... Quickly. Oh, we got to go? No, quickly. Oh. D- ultimate chaos. Mm. Mitch Marner. For Connor Bedard. Of course. Leaves do it in a heartbeat. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Agreed I mean, I'd, I'd, consider uh, oh, Matt, I'd consider Matthews. I I think it's it's not crazy, uh, but, you know, you build attachment to things, you see. And uh, every time you ask for three years, it, the attachment gets strained a little yeah. bit more. Uh, if this contract's three years, 
it's immediately. not it's not gonna be I've said this earlier in the week or whatever last week Sunshine, whatever the hell I said rainbows, this. no. The perception the worm will turn if yep. this is a three year contract. Not gonna be happy and they're gonna want to see him produce. And if he does, it'll be fine, but it won't be happy people won't be happy about it. Yep. Uh you all will be very happy about JD Bunkus coming in here to talk to you about I don't know, Alec Manoa. He's going to talk to us about the Open Championship. I'll let him tee up his own show when he starts talking in a couple minutes here. It's been the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet. Five Night of the Fan.